I don't think you can know yourself unless you begin to have at least some idea of how the brain works. Welcome back to Mind Matters, everyone. I'm Harrison Cayley, joined as usual by Elon Martin, and manning the computers is Adam Daniels. And today, we're pleased to have joining us after about a year of not seeing him, Alan Francis. We've interviewed Alan a couple times before. We're happy to have him back. And if you look at all of our faces, we've got the progression of manly beards from just a, a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a shadow to, you know, okay, some, somewhat substantial. I've got a bit more than Elon, but then Alan, you have the, the best beard of the bunch. So automatically um, you win the beard contest of today's show. But <laughs> with that said, welcome back. Uh, it's, it's good to have you back. And I just wanted to ask to start out with, what have you been doing for, like, what, do you have any updates for the past year? What, um, what kind of stuff have you been working on? Well, <clears throat> quite, a, quite a few things, really. Uh, <clears throat> we, of course, are working towards the creation of a center in, uh, around Valencia, Spain. And that's been uh, one of the main focuses. And uh, uh, my young friend, uh, Usi and uh, Jane are there now, and uh, I'm going to be going there pretty soon. <clears throat> and so there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, technical things that, that, that have to be done that are not related to anything esoteric, like I have to sell my house Supposedly, my house is now sold by the end of the month, and that's a big, uh, big thing, especially in this uh, terrible uh, market that uh, that's uh, in America today, and coming from a lot of a lot of bad mistakes from from the politicians uh, that has put us into this uh, situation. But in any case, uh, it's interesting to see how these big uh, decisions that people make, Gurdjieff calls power-possessing beings, uh, uh, fall upon the little man, ourselves included. And in this particular case, it, it, it uh, made it very difficult to get the house sold, but it is now sold, as far as I can see. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> We've been working on the legal aspects of, of what we need to do in order to set up in Valencia. And uh, so all those kinds of uh, housekeeping uh, uh, items uh, that, that need to be addressed. And uh, unfortunately, uh, one may be focused on uh, the idea of uh, how could I become more conscious and how can I help others uh, become more conscious? And yet here we are caught in the, in the, in the midst of all these uh, uh, financial and, and, and uh, business and legal details. Uh, I remember hearing uh, Michelle de Salzman, Gajif's son, Madame's son, uh, that not only, of course, he had his own life, he was a psychiatrist, 
which is rather a fascinating thing that here's this uh, student of, of Gurdjieff and his son becomes a psychiatrist. And then, of course, that enters into the uh, uh, world of psychiatry, uh, just as Maurice Nicole, a student of uh, uh, the uh, uh, of of also psychiatry uh, uh, became a student and uh, uh, anyway the that whole process goes on and Michel was said to have spent about half his time dealing with the political uh, nonsense you might say that occurs in the Gurdjieff work itself. And so here we are, and we're pulled into the siren's call. We're pulled into the outer world constantly. And can we hold something back from that, whether it's uh, dealing with uh, things like selling the house or whether dealing with other people uh, in the work itself? uh, that that tends to uh, make it very difficult to focus on those things which we think are most important. And but that's what's been happening. And of course, uh, I, I mentioned to you just to, sort of out of in, you know to some people know that I had several strokes this year. <clears throat> And uh, two when I was in Turkey with my wife, and uh, uh, one when I came back here to Arizona. <clears throat> and I thought, well, you know, if if I'm going to have this, and I seem to have no choice that I had these uh, strokes, uh, what can I learn from them? And so I set myself the task of trying to go from the inside and learn how uh, in relationship to uh, the functioning of the brain, uh, these strokes are uh, acting upon me to actually try to follow them inside and uh, try to understand uh, a little more about the brain itself. Since I'm given this opportunity, (laughs) might as well use it. So that's basically uh, what's been happening. Well, as I as we talked about before we started recording, um, it's good to see that uh, that you're recovering, and I hope that uh, yeah, I hope that there's either no more strokes or that uh, you know you can continue to make just a, a complete recovery. On the subject of the experience, like your own personal experience of it, and trying to make something of it and to understand it and to kind of live through it and learn something from it. I don't know if you've, um, I'm sure you're familiar with some, there have been some popular books, you know, accounts of people who have had strokes, including one by a, um, a lady. I can't remember the name, um, but she herself was a clinical psychologist, I believe, or at least some kind of, or maybe a research psychologist, I can't remember. But from her, so she wrote her account of this of this pretty massive stroke that she had that, um, that completely messed with her um, um 
her regular perception. And so she had almost a, like a mystical ex type experience from this, um, from this stroke. And that's one of the cases that Ian McGilchrist talks about in his, in his recent book. So I Ian McGilchrist is the guy that wrote the master and the emissary about the right brain, uh, right, right brain, right brain, left brain split and the, the different natures of the two hemispheres. And he's got this, uh, this new massive book where he gets into pretty much all the research that's available on all kinds of strokes and brain damage and where they are and what hemisphere they're in and what kind of effects they have on, on perception and um, perception, emotion, um, motor skills. And so if you're not familiar with, uh, with that book um, or Ian, McGil Ian McGilchrist's work, I'd recommend checking it out because there is just so much in there and it might, uh, um, it, I found that the, one of the values of that is is it reading that book just kind of um, solidified for me how how little I actually know about what's going on um, what's going on in my mind because there are so many phenomena that that show up when something goes wrong that you don't even re that you don't realize what's going on when things are going right and so um, yeah I just recommend it I wonder is there um, what kind, what kind of things have you noticed or is, or, or are, are you familiar with, um, with research of that type, like on brain hemisphere lesions or, or strokes or things like that? Well, I've learned a little bit about that over the years. And, uh, you know, Gajif speaks about that, uh, where the crossing in the brain is, uh, cerebellum that uh, this is a place that we need to be very uh, conscious of, uh, which is rather interesting because he doesn't say that about too many things like that. And he says this is a, uh, a place where things can turn into their opposites. So if you want something, for example, then it, it may turn out that you get the opposite of what you want somehow. Uh, so in the in the uh, crossing in the cerebellum, uh, which I have some exercises in my book for, uh, that uh, that of course the the two sides not only uh, are separated, but they have some different functioning as you're as you're speaking about, uh, and uh, so here. You know, this is demonstrated for me by my strokes in the uh, right temporal region. Uh, but quite clearly, that that those strokes have affected my left uh, side of my body. Uh, fortunately, only as I say, mostly uh, motor sensory on the left side, uh, and uh, but that still gives a very concrete example uh, for me. Uh, of of this uh, crossing that Gajif speaks about and that modern, uh, I don't know how long it's been, what, maybe 15 years or so uh, that people have been talking about the left and right side of the brain as uh, being uh, the left side, therefore, connected with, if I'm right-handed, which I am, the dominant side of my uh, uh being, you might say, and, and the opposite. And uh, 
I think the, just the study of the brain is, is indispensable now in relation to consciousness, uh, that uh, we have to better understand the brain. So these books might be really very, very valuable for that. Uh, I don't think you can know yourself unless you uh, begin to have at least some idea of how the brain works. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that is yeah. it's a kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a uh, structurally sort of a foundation as you laying a foundation for consciousness in the human being. It's not the source of consciousness that I don't think. But it is is this place in which this this uh, very uh, important uh, light can appear, and it is then divided into various aspects. Uh, you might say fragmented in in the brain and in the sensory uh, perceptive uh, fields, so that now, now I'm. Uh, looking at consciousness from the point of view of a level, uh, what what we would say in the work, world 48, that is the world of the earth itself, where consciousness is, is materialized at a certain level. And we see, for example, a very limited spectrum. We hear a very limited spectrum and so on. Uh, and uh, that limit is related to the level that we exist on and when we begin to rise up to a, a a little higher level then our perceptions expand so uh, if we begin to understand the brain i think uh, it's going to help us to understand ourselves who am i yeah. for sure it it reminds me a little bit of the the studies and the um, <clears throat> the the raft of books that have come out on metacognition uh, in the past uh, couple of decades. Thinking about the way you think, and uh, from a Gurdjieffian perspective, it would be self remembering or, like you said, Alan, uh, developing consciousness, um, being self aware. And it, it really never ends. I mean, it, it, you know, it, everybody has their biases and, and challenges. Uh, I've had neurological issues um, that have had to uh, approach using supplementation and, um, and self-awareness and meditation and breathing. And, uh, and it's, it's always a, um, it's always an exercise in self-remembering, you know, wh what am I being right now? What is informing these thoughts or feelings that are uh, reacting to certain things I'm seeing in the world or not reacting to anything? And uh, at even a very basic level as we do our day-to-day. -day. And um, at the start of the show, you talked a little bit about uh, the, the challenges the challenge is incumbent upon, uh, you know, trying to build something, trying to um, sell a house, uh, trying to uh, build something new. And um, all of these 
uh, different things that are occurring in the world, events, uh, one on top of the next simultaneously. This is something we've been talking about here quite a bit recently. And everything vying for one's attention and that one wants to give their due, uh, our attention and our energy being pulled this way and that. And, um, and at the same time, we'd like a little rest, you know, when, when we could find it, a, a, little, uh, a little joy. And so uh, one of the things that we began discussing um, just prior to the show, and I wish we could have bottled, we, we could have bottled it up and, and taped it, but I'm, I'm hoping and I expect that you'll bring the same eloquence to it that you did when, before we started recording. You know, you, you talked about this a little bit and um, in terms of where we are, you know, after 2000 years of having learned about Christ's love and here we are in this, uh, you know, in this incredibly um, challenging and, and, and interesting environment uh, that is Earth at this time. And it, it's a rather broad subject and a broad context because, uh, you know, it, there's, the, there's the personal way that we're dealing with things. And, there, and then there's also looking at things from this really broad perspective of, from a distance. And so I wonder if, uh, touching upon any of those frameworks right now, you could uh, give us a little bit of, um, give us some thoughts on, on where you think things are in the world and how as people who are uh, hopefully trying to attain some measure of consciousness to, to, to hold on to what we have, how we, you know, want to um, move forward and, and, and what that, what that approach, what that constructive attitude uh, looks like and maybe sounds like. Well, I, I think it's really something that uh, perhaps all of us are wondering about today. Uh, I just heard on the news about, uh, I think you probably heard that some missiles struck Poland. And uh, this is rather interesting. Uh, Zelensky, uh, who is the head of uh, uh, Ukraine now, uh, after the coup d'etat, as far as I can tell from the CIA that ousted the original president uh, before. Uh, Zelensky uh, said to the United States, NATO, that we should effectively get into a war with Russia because of this, this missile launch. And uh, two people died in Poland and kept uh, kept up this and and at the same time it it uh, became apparent uh, and as much as we can trust the news at any time that it wasn't russia who launched these missiles it was ukraine and uh, and so and, and zelensky is saying we should get into war now <laughs> because of this so the compounding of the lies uh, from all sides, uh, make it difficult to to comprehend uh, what to do in in these situations. But very clearly, there is very little what we would call common sense involved with the political sphere. And this is connected with something that Gurdjieff talks about quite a lot: that something went wrong 
in human beings. He spoke, speaks about this idea of Kundavafar uh, a long, long time ago. And that this, uh, whatever this is that went wrong in people, is still here today. And now we look back and we say, well, look at this brilliance of, of these teachers of Lao Tzu and Buddha and Zoroaster and, and more recently Jesus and so on. Uh, just absolutely brilliant uh, men who dedicated their lives to change the course of human evolution so that it began to get back to what I would consider a more normal or more natural situation. And yet, with all these tremendous uh, teachings and efforts, everything has turned back into its opposite. And Guji says there's a kind of law that this, is, this, is, this happens unless at specific times uh, something comes in that, that reinforces that original uh, teaching or that original uh, uh, idea. And uh, apparently, I, I've been pondering this lately since we, we, we thought we might speak about this. Because I realized that I had kind of thought of these things in uh, in a way that each one of them was uh, going to do what the other couldn't do, which was change the the course of human uh, history, basically, uh, stop uh, this violence. And we see that all, all the efforts, uh, whether it be uh, the hippie movement that I was involved in the 60s, or whether it be something else uh, uh, in, in other times and other places, that it never turned out, uh, the result never turned out as we hoped. And it's it's uh, similar to psychologically to when I get into an argument with somebody, and I'm thinking about how I am right, and therefore this other person's got to be wrong, and that to let go of that idea that I am right is very very difficult for us. It seems almost impossible. And now Gurdjieff says that only if we understand the truth, and as you get older, the truth becomes more relevant, that you're going to die, and those people close to you are going to die, could there be a real significant shock that would wake people up and say, well, let's look at our situation again. Let's think about it, and let's consider how we could do better. So we don't seem to be doing better. We There's no estimate of now that's reliable of how many people have been murdered in war in the last century. Certainly tens of millions. 
And uh, this, uh, I was thinking about, I was thinking about, okay, Jesus brought this idea, love thy neighbor, and so on. And a powerful message, which was altered almost right away uh, by the Romans, which was such an interesting turnaround. The Romans who were killing uh, the Christians were then becoming the center from which uh, uh, it was supposedly going to have a rebirth, Constantine and so on. And, you know, it's, you think about this this as a unique phenomena trying to change the course of events. But then I was thinking, what if all these, if these people, Jesus and Lao Tzu and all these, understood that none, not any one of them could do that? That it was much more like uh, if you were traveling in a spaceship, right, to some desired place or a ship, and you had to adjust, uh, fire some rockets on one side, you had to adjust the trajectory, and each one of these was an adjustment of that bad trajectory that you set out. That so that rather than the one thing like Christianity uh, was was the uh, sole, uh, you might say, uh, teaching force that would change the course of human events. What if all these different things were constantly being made as an adjustments? to our uh, course, to the way. Mm -hmm. that's, so, uh, that's really interesting, Alan, because when you, when you proposed the topic to, to me, this particular topic, I was thinking, well, well, may, well what, what are the limits of a, you know, a new spiritual teaching like that or, or, a, or an existing one that we, you know, that the different peoples in different places of the planet might be involved in like what what can we realistically expect from that so i was thinking that well maybe maybe we have unrealistic expectations that we think that there will be some some new jesus or 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 something like that that will come and then everything will be different and then and humanity will totally change course and so i was thinking well maybe th maybe that's not realistic what what can we actually expect and but I didn't go any, I didn't think any further than that. I think that your idea of these kind of, these, these course corrections is very interesting that, um, that humanity might be on a, you know, might be, well, one way to think about it, I'm not saying this was actually the case, was that humanity might be on a, like a, you know, a mass, how, how might I put it? Um, like a mass suicidal trajectory, for instance, and then a new spiritual teaching might just just deflect, you know, away from the train going off of the cliff, and then it, right. it just it just keeps happening. So the fact that we still have all of the all of the problems, and and in some ways, in some ways, they might be even even worse today, but they're, they're the same problems. I mean, like you said, we're we're still killing each other, um, but that might just be that might just be in a sense 
in a sense, part of reality that just has to be dealt with. It, it might be an, a constant and, and that there might be slight deviations that can be made toward and away from that. And maybe the, the, you know, the worst case scenario is, is when it goes fully into that. And that would be like a, a full, a full apocalyptic, you know, catastrophic destruction of, of humanity. And Gurdjieff, um, he kind of alluded to that kind of possibility in his early talks in In Search of the Miraculous, where he talked about this, our specific branch of creation that can be, you know, if it, how did he put it? Um, basically, if if we screw it up, there's nothing saying that that branch can't be cut off. And, and that part of that part of creation is just, you know, kind of like a, just a failed, um, you know, a failure. And that, and that there are other, mm-hmm. other, Parts that 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 uh, might succeed, but there's no guarantee that that um, that any given species or any, any given planet will will survive to, or 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 do anything worthwhile. So, so in a sense, you might call that a very optimistic um, view of humanity that we're act- that at least we're still here, <laughs> as bad as bad as things are. That uh, um, you know we've we've made it this far, um, but. I don't know. Did you have any any thoughts on that, or uh, does that inspire any any new any new thoughts? Well, I think that makes a lot of sense to me, and and the fact that if it is true, uh, the Hopis, for example, and and others have spoken about the uh, the idea that there's been a number of really great. Uh, cataclysms that has affected mm-hmm. the earth certainly yep. we know of some that of comets and things that have happened and uh, and uh, almost for sure floods and so on uh, mm-hmm. that somehow despite this uh, there's been some small group they call a remnant usually mm-hmm. that has uh, survived and that has continued into this, what they call the next world. Uh, and that this has happened apparently repeatedly for some reason. Well, how did that happen? Well, you know, Noah's Ark, he speaks about that as, as, as being a school. That the Ark itself is, is a teaching, a school that helped people find the way through this cataclysm and survive and start again and i guess i think there might be real hope in that that despite how badly we have we have ruined this uh, organic experiment on earth yet we're still here somehow and we're still striving uh, some at least striving to understand our place in the world and uh Maybe it's a little bit like Job in the Bible, where you know uh, he is uh, he goes he has to go through all these terrible situations again and again and again, not once, and uh, until finally, at least in the in the Bible, you know he is given everything back and everything is doubled. You know, mm-hmm. double it connected with the law of octaves, the doubling of the of the energy, uh, and therefore creation of a higher body. So that through all this turmoil, uh, 
uh, all this is what seems like senseless suffering, he then begins to be uh, rewarded for going through all this. And uh, so that may also be a part of this uh, kind of algorithm that uh, has been set up for one reason or another, accidentally or on purpose, uh, here on Earth. And we have to accept them. Mm -hmm. We have to accept this. Uh, and, um, you know, that guy that was... Uh, uh, very famous writer he he wrote about uh, during the nazis and and how he was in the concentration camp and uh he uh he found a way oh, victor frankl yeah right yeah he found a way not to get caught up in it which is quite amazing uh, and it, we see this, in a sense, in, in, in Buddha and Gurdjieff and others, that they found a way to, to not, uh, not get locked into despair. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's our, you know, our responsibility. And if we can do that and do it long enough and, and course correct, as we've been talking about sufficiently, maybe that is the way in which things must go. And I really hadn't thought about that in that way before uh, pondering this, uh, this meeting together. Hmm. Well, it, it reminds me of one other, one other idea. And that is, that's one that I've, I think I've only encountered it it might exist in various traditions, but in the in some of the Sufi traditions, there's this idea of um, there's different words for them, but basically a, a group, a set group of like a number of of holy individuals. I don't know if it might be forty or twenty, but who are always in existence at us in existence at any given time, and like the the great Sheikh Ibn. Ibn Arabi, he he writes about you know his encounters with some of these some of these people, um, these mysterious encounters with these with these types of guys, and and how so well so in Sufism there is there is this kind of tradition it's taken as a given almost in in the in the tradition that there are these holy individuals that are basically holding the world up, and they're doing they're doing something behind the scenes and the but but the impression I get from that is that well. They're not. They're not revolutionaries. They're not changing anything. They are stable, uh, stable throughout throughout time and continuous throughout time. So that they're essentially maintaining things. They're they're like the they're like the the poles of the world. They're like the stable. They're like the columns holding up the the building, and and that seems to be their purpose. So there is that stabilizing element. It's not not exactly this, the same metaphor that you used of, of like a course correction, but it's we're we're holding everything together. We're making sure things are still standing. And but then again, a guy like Ibn Arabi comes around, or any of the other kind of Sufis that come around, and then they they kind of inject something new. It's more like so there might actually be both. 
both ideas in Sufism. There's the the people that are holding everything up. And then there's the guy like Ibn Arabi or anyone else that comes in that injects something new. And that's kind of like a course correction for the people of his time and his place. And of course, now we can go back and we can, we can still benefit from, you know, all of these kind of mystical traditions and the, and their, and their writings and apply them to our lives. But there seems to be that like in every, in every time we, we need some people to offer some, even what might be, what might seem as these very minor course corrections. So, uh, I'm, I don't know if, you know, I'm, I'm personally skeptical that these kinds of guys exist, or maybe if they ever did exist, these poles of the world, but, uh, but it's an interesting idea. And, um, but, well, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Do you think it might be, it might be that, that people just, uh, that at any given time, there might be just a number of people who by their, who by their nature, who by their essence and their, and their being, um, fulfill that function, even if they're not maybe consciously aware of it. Well, it's an interesting thought. Uh, I think that the uh, uh, Sufis have a point of view, uh, and of course there are many different branches of Sufism. Uh, I don't know if there's any Sufis saints today. The Sufis that I've met have not impressed me. Uh, uh, I liked uh, the writings of Inyat Khan. I thought he was very interesting, but he, he died a while ago. And um, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, something Lord Pentland said, which was, uh, I thought, interesting, which was that there are kind of beings, and I, want, I don't know if I take it literally, but kind of beings that are reaching down to us from above, Mm -hmm. And of course, this idea you see in Michelangelo, you know, in the, in the Sistine Chapel, and that we are reaching up towards these beings. And if we can interlock our hands with them, uh, we might then complete this kind of current that is needed to, to change our situation. And uh, when Guji says, you know, if there were a hundred conscious men, they could change the world. Well, clearly, we don't have a hundred <laughs> conscious men um, because our world is not uh, changed, if uh, only for the worse. I mean, the degree of of almost embarrassing ignorance of our politicians. And basically, I would say pretty much almost all of them uh, throughout the world uh, leads one to believe that uh, that we are uh, not uh, producing these hundred conscious, I should say, human beings, men and women. And uh, that part of the Gajif work idea was to at least produce some. Uh, and uh, and maybe other groups would produce some as well. And then uh, if we were to come together, Gurdjieff speaks about this in, in, in his book. He talks about uh, the assembly of the all-enlightened beings of the earth, for example. I think that was during the 10th century, maybe, uh, AD. And, and But there are other times when 
when uh, in Babylon, in the Axial Age, when you had this really almost, uh, almost, it seems like it couldn't even be possible, but it seems to be that you had the great exilic prophets, Isaiah and so on. You had, at the same time, was living Lao Tzu and, and, and Buddha, uh, and uh, of course Confucius uh, about the same time and Zoroaster or people representing him during this axial age uh, that 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 this these assemblies have occurred and perhaps can occur again and uh, try to uh, produce, a stronger uh, exchange of energy uh, that would actually awaken a larger number of people. And of course, this is a kind of hope. It may be a little bit a romantic hope, uh, but I think it's also, there are people that have uh, evolved as human beings, and I don't mean just technology or whatever, uh, you know, but as total human beings, there have these people, and uh, if enough of them are uh, created or produced or whatever, uh, something can change. And of course, that's part of the hope of our center is to help produce some of these people. Uh, I don't see myself as as necessarily going on to this highest level or something, but if I could if I could uh, uh, mentor people, you know, towards this uh, higher uh, evolution, that would be for me. That would make my life purposeful, worth worth having lived, and uh, so. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we are coming to a very dangerous spot. I think pretty much everybody with an intelligence agrees with that. Uh, and um, I'm not sure how many people feel a commitment uh, to uh, generate uh, this possibility or are simply going to sort of you know, say, well, what the hell, you know, what can I do? And uh, that kind of laziness and, and selfishness, I think, of course, for all of us is, is, is a problem. Uh, but maybe some people will make that decision uh, to invest their lives in something uh, that, that uh, will alter the course of human events. Mm -hmm. There is there's a lot of stuff going on uh, here that you guys have said that uh, it's really interesting and kind of worth unpacking a little bit, but there's something that stuck out in my mind. Um, and I just want to start off with, Harrison, do you remember there was a, an author who was talking about um, basically how when you have someone who is evil, let's say, and they're in power, 
uh, all that need to happen is everyone, all of his underlings to simply walk away and then he becomes uh, not a threat anymore. Yeah, I don't know who said Do that. you remember? No. Yeah. <laughs> there's well. there's a pithy, a pithy quote that goes along with that, but no, I can't remember whose idea that is. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think it was one of the shows that we did, I don't know, like a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. It's been a while, but anyways, the, the essence of kind of what the guy was saying was exactly that, that all that need happen for bad men to lose their standing and for their grip on the world and for a community, uh, for them to lose that grip need only be that the people under them to simply, uh, stop following, stop giving them their energy. Um, and so one of the things that's you know, kind of stands out to me then obviously is that if part of what we're doing here within uh, the work more broadly, you know, here uh, each talking amongst each other and trying to come out to, to actionable ideas and to a better understanding of not only our nature, but of the world around us, we are in fact doing exactly that. We are cutting off the beast from at least some of our energy, which I think is noble in its own right. Um, not just for, you know, ourselves, because we, we seeing things as we do want to do something, uh, about it, but maybe such, uh, grand things are beyond, you know, realistic expectations. And so uh, merely cutting off the beast's food supply from you individually is enough. It's like unplugging just a few people from the matrix, Yeah, you know? Yeah, maybe that's maybe that in itself can act as a course corrector. Um, you know, maybe it's not injecting new information uh, in a way that you were thinking about earlier, right? Where someone comes up with a new concept or a new religion or a new philosophy uh, that can course correct, but maybe just simply unplugging a few people can kind of take some of the the feet off that are on the gas uh, and allows for a course correction that way. And that, that in itself is hopeful as well, because, and this is something that we had talked about on another show recently, where suffering can be teleological. Like, even though we're in a rather uh, difficult and tumultuous time, that is not itself or shouldn't be disheartening because we are learning so much about ourselves, about each other. Uh, and that is not for naught. Like that's that's worth it in some way. Like God, God or the universe or something like that is not simply going to let that go to waste, so to say. Even if He calls this branch of the universe or this aspect of creation, it's going to get recycled in some kind of way. Um, yes. Someone will benefit from our from our failures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to see what's going on here and be like, "Yeah, I'm never doing that." Yeah. But but also that it could have value for us personally and for others in, in some way, I think, too. Yeah, it's like, well, well there's, there's, oh no, go ahead, Alan. I won't interject. I, I think that uh, as I was also saying about myself is that I might have a certain romantic idea about about these things. Uh, that isn't fully justified by reason. Uh, but I think that to understand 
how events and people, power-possessing people in particular, are integrated. There's so little that we really uh, can say we are going to understand the result. Let's say Gandhi. Now, people have different views about Gandhi. Was he good? Was he what? But he, very interesting. He's trying, he's trying to, uh, uh, you could say, free the Indian people from British rule. And uh, on one hand, of course, he was given a lot of accolades for that and everything. But then you end up with a division uh, into two nuclear powers, Pakistan and India. And they're constantly having skirmishes and they could have a, a nuclear war. Now, if it comes about that due to the freeing from British rule, you end up with a nuclear war, has the result been positive? And does anybody have this kind of understanding uh, like you would maybe a great chess master or go master as to how things are, are going to uh, be affected by, by such actions. And some people don't like, for example, Vladimir Putin. They think Vladimir Putin's a bad guy. Well, maybe. Uh, I've seen things that have said that he was very restrained in relationship to uh, NATO and Americans, uh, politicians uh, damning him. And uh, but uh, if you go back and you see that that NATO has been involved in strangulating uh, Russia for a long time, very, very intentionally, their strategy was to break their promise that they wouldn't be taking in uh, former uh, Soviet uh, republics, which they did and continue to do, and that, that, that we instigated, I think it's, I, I happened to have been in Kiev at the time of the so-called coup, uh, revolution. I was there when they were building their fortifications in the streets and everything. Uh, and uh, my view is that we created that. Our CIA or something like that created that and uh, set Ukraine against Russia, where they were actually allied to Russia just before that. And uh, we generated this whole fiasco. And so who is bad? I'm an American. I love America. I think America's incredible place and, and, and uh, its ideas and uh, its beginnings and so on uh, are, were wonderful. But, you know, we've been involved in more coup d'etats than anybody else in the world, from South America, Southeast Asia, to Ukraine. And, and who are we to do that, really? Uh, and so who's the bad guy? And what if you were to take out Vladimir Putin somehow? 
What if somebody decided to do that as, as uh, our president uh, uh, spoke about? And what would happen if, if, if Russia collapsed? Now, I happen to have a lot of friends in Russia. You know, my wife is Russian. And uh, I'm thinking, would that be a good thing? America perhaps putting in another puppet uh, in in charge of, of another country, which we've done or tried to do so many times before, and failed tremendously, you know. So now I'm thinking, who has the savvy to think not one move ahead, but 10 moves ahead? And to say, if I do this, the eventual outcome is going to be positive. Well, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think there are very many people with that kind of strategic knowledge. Uh, and um, so I agree with your sentiment. Certainly, inwardly, psychologically, we have something called chief feature which is sort of like our Goliath, and, and, and we need a David. And eventually we need this false part of ourselves to diminish. This is quite true. Uh, and we, I think we have to also have a strategy in relationship to that, that we don't go about this in, in a kind of ignorant, naive way or in a violent way, which produces other kinds of psychological ramifications, which we, we don't necessarily can predict. So it's the same with the world, I think, and the world leaders. And I am um, always hopeful to hear somebody that I think, wow, this person has thought ahead. You know, it's not a knee-jerk reaction. And I thought Kennedy might be one of those people I thought Kennedy might have been one of those people that, that actually was thinking ahead. And of course, he was murdered. But uh, there, there may come uh, about some real leaders that, that, uh, that will help us in this, uh, what, I, what I call the course correction. I don't know. But... Uh, well... Uh, just a few comments there, Alan, because uh, first of all, it's incredible that you were uh, there present at such a time and place as the Maidan uh, events in Kiev in 2014. Uh, so that's incredible. And that gives you a whole, um, a whole perspective on geopolitics and uh, the, the thinking of leaders and what they're capable of and who may or may not be in the right. Uh, because to some degree, we, we enjoy thinking on these um, themes also uh, in, in a similar perspective too. <clears throat> and it, it, it gets back, I think, to something I wanted to mention earlier about uh, knowledge and intentionality and, um, course correcting, as you put it. And that is that 
I don't know if it was Gurdjieff or Moraviev who said that there's a that knowledge is a a substance of which there's a limited there may be like a limited amount of that was Gurdjieff, uh, that was Gurdjieff of of knowledge in yeah. existence. Knowledge and is matter. It's it's a kind of matter, an, a kind of non physical matter that we either value and see it for what it is and appreciate it and uh, assimilate it uh, or not. And and there, there seems to be a great number of people for whom it, it's not of value. So maybe part of the answer to your um, point on course correcting is that at least among the leaders of this world, uh, of, of whom so few seem to have a a, a, a common sense approach to to uh, leading, uh, it, you know, it, it's like they there are very few that have a, a a value on this knowledge as matter, like really good knowledge that might also include strategic uh, thinking in a in a very proactive Kennedy esque uh, approach. And so maybe that's true of, of a certain percentile of humanity as well, um, that, that the course correcting may only exist as a possibility among a certain percentage of people who have it in them to perceive knowledge as, as this, this matter substance that is of a, of a higher level, of a of a more unique, more holistic, more, uh, m you know, multidimensional uh, level. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on that as a, a possibility. Yeah, I think that's very important. And just adding one thing, which you were sort of getting to, which is that uh, Gurji speaks about the highest uh, teaching in Egypt, uh, was the school of materializing of thought. So you're, we speak of matter and we don't think of matter as, as being uh, the materializing of thought, but in the structure of the matter, and I think this goes to where you're looking at uh, the effect of vibration, for example, on sand and things like that, the Chalmi experiments, uh, where you see that a certain vibration will set matter into a, a, a particular pattern. And uh, so that there is this infusing of intelligence into matter, which we are, of course, you might say the prime example of that process, fusing in, into, into, the, into the material world a level of intelligence. And when we architecturally build something like the cathedral at Notre Dame or uh, Chartres or whatever, uh, we, are, we are doing that. We are putting into matter and form uh, a level of intelligence that didn't exist there before. And I think that's sort of the ultimate reasoning, you might say, of a higher being that uh, 
that the logos, the word, the vibration, the highest vibration, gradually uh, impacting uh, matter in such a way that it brought matter up, you know, and that we are, of course, part of that process of, of bringing matter that is the most lowest level of matter, which they used to call idea of lead, that is something that is, is not very conductive, and gradually bring it up so that it is like gold or like something like that, that it vibrates at a higher level and returns the energy that was sent down into it. And so we are the prodigal sun. We are the returning of that energy. And uh, our, our experiment here on this little planet called Earth uh, may not seem very important to anyone but us, but maybe it has a great importance. And maybe we will make a difference. Well, there were a couple we things. Go ahead. I was just going to say we are the materialization of this original thought of logos. Mm -hmm. I want to back up a little bit to just a couple. Of, well, I don't know if I want to do that. Do we, do either of you have a response to? Not to that there? in particular, no. No, I ju I just enjoyed that yeah, yeah, that whole good. explication, <laughs> Alan. I, I, you know that that we are, uh, you know, we hope, um, you know, receivers and uh, vehicles for information and for transmutation and for bringing uh, whatever intelligence we have and whatever intelligence we're striving for and reaching for. Uh, into some kind of um, form of action and and materialization that is constructive in some manner. You know, we don't we're not in positions of power in the world. You know, uh, we're um, we don't have the influence or the resources necessarily to uh, affect change in the kinds of obvious ways that many do that we whose names we know of in the media or in the uh in news and yet we don't want to understate or uh undervalue or poo poo or or give too little uh short you know short thrift short shrift to whatever you know constructive behavior and and good good works that we might be capable of so I appreciated what you just said. I know, you know, we all do really. It, um, cause that's the hope you talked about it be a, being a romantic, uh, hope that, you know, we can course correct. It's, it's hope. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, maybe, a, maybe on some level, um, it, what are we going to say? Well, just that, uh, on the idea of hope, I don't think that, uh, well, I think that, just like we should be careful about what we um, what we expect of things, that maybe we should be careful about 
what we hope for and where we place our hope. So, so if, if someone is placing their hope in, for instance, a, per, you know, a particular leader that they may, that they may really want to, to, to do something amazing or in a social movement or a revolutionary movement, they're, they're essentially externalizing that hope. But hope is, I think as Gurdjieff called it in Beelzebub's Tales, it's one of those inner divine impulses. It's something that's, that should be, you know, part of oneself as opposed to kind of projected into, into some outside thing that, um, that can't be relied on. And this gets back to our original idea that we were talking about, um, esoteric groups and religions and about what, what their purpose is and what they're here for. And then your idea of the, of a, of a, of the arc as a school, Alan, and that this idea of that you see in, in different ways, some, sometimes even as just a, you know, a, a spiritual brotherhood or sisterhood or a, a monastic type thing, or in, in the Gurdjieff work, kind of, a um, a group, um, a group of groups. And that seems to be the area in like individual work and, and work on one and work in a, in a group on oneself and, and among others of the same mind that that seems to be where the, where things work. Well, to, well, I get, I guess that's one way of putting it where, where, where that actually works, um, where that kind of development is possible and that that might be a, pl a place to, to look for hope is, or, or, and to, and to find it is in oneself, despite changing external conditions. Um, like, I mean, Gurdjieff lived through the, you know, the, the Russian civil war, the revolution and the civil war. It's not like, and, and the, the, the Nazi occupation of France, you know, it's it's not like he personally had a an easy life free of political turmoil, and but despite that, I think that even he was well, he was a, a loving person. I, I think he had those three qualities of faith, hope, and love. At least that's, uh, that's the impression I get from <clears throat> from all my reading about him. And so, I just to sum up. I think people place their hopes for for change and and things getting better in the things that are least likely to produce them, which in in our world at this present time and probably in most previous times too are like the our our political leaders and and the the big social movements that are so popular um, that those seem to me to be you know places that probably be better off, you know, looking elsewhere. Well, I think that uh, we made a number of good points on that. And I think that the uh, one thing that one could understand uh, factually in relation to the work is that it can, first of all, uh, help to uh, increase the consciousness of individuals. So if I wish to work on myself, then I know that if I follow this algorithm that Gajif has given basically uh, and that I follow it uh, with, with my own intelligence and don't just sort of mechanically follow, but follow it that way, then I'm going to grow. That I think for me is a certainty because I've seen it in, in many, many people. 
And then it is also then possible what we call the second line of work is that when you uh, are with other people or even animals, you can help them develop uh, their level of consciousness. And therefore, this second line that you were talking about, the, the working with others is, is extraordinarily important. And the one that we are, let's say, in question, I would say about, is this third line, which, which is how to uh, help humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I think, in a way only can be reached when you when you've made some progress on the first two levels yeah but if you try you know to help humanity before you've uh, grown inside then you're just going to go around in a circle you know and the thing you thought was good is going to turn out to be evil or bad uh, and your results are not going to be like you wish them to be uh, so I think that that's sort of the almost the concluding idea for me, you know, that you do work on yourself, you do work with others. And through that, you may then be able to act upon uh, humanity as a whole. That's perfect. And maybe, yeah, maybe have a stronger influence than we think. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that was the perfect concluding thought, Alan. So I think we'll, we've gone for just over an hour. I think we'll, we'll end it there unless you had any further concluding thoughts. What do you think? No, I think that concludes my thoughts. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Alan. It was, it was a pleasure having you on. We wish you the best um, in Valencia with your, with your health um, recovering from the, from the strokes and um are you still working on a, a new book is that still in the plans well the works? it's still in the plans eventually what i want to do is go through uh, the hundred plus uh zoom class classes mm-hmm. i've had because within those are pretty much all the material that i would like to cover mm-hmm. but i have to get somebody to go through <laughs> i'm yeah, not, yeah. I'm not ready to go, so, you know, I'll bore myself listening to myself. Yeah, sure. All right. So, so yes, we do wish to do that. And uh, anybody interested, you know, uh, in what we're doing can contact istfw.com mm-hmm. and, uh, and get in touch with us. Thank you so much for providing this venue. No Good problem, talking Alan. to you, Alan. And I'll put a link to the International School of Fourth Way in the description, so everyone can uh, can find you there. And uh, I'll put a link to your to your existing book, uh, Secrets of the Fourth Way, too. So for any of our listeners who didn't catch the first the first couple times we talked with you, um, we we discussed the book a bit. So we have a link to that too. So great. Take care and good luck, Alan. Hope to see you soon. Bye bye. We'll do. Bye bye.